please turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy, Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. And it reads, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and, and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come, they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires. Because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions, do the work of an, of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Thank you. Good morning. All right, I'm excited to be here. I'm very thankful. and I am super excited to be able to bring the word of God to you. I am very thankful that Brother Ken was able to sing that last song, uh, Rejoicing, and we all trying to get to heaven. I found that to be the providence of God, if you think about it. I did not give Brother Ken any information, yet he knew exactly what song to sing. And uh, sometimes you need that a little bit when you're, when you're working and you're speaking sometimes in public. I am going to stick with our theme and the passage that was read by Brother David. So our theme for the month is the excerpt from Matthew 25, from the parable of the sheep and the goat. And just our focus on where we should be, what our goal is, our overall desire in the church and as people and Christians and husbands and fathers and mothers and friends and wives. Just really, what is our focus? Where should we be at? I thought that that opening verse, uh, while in the context, is talking with uh, the Apostle Paul, talking to Timothy about his ministry, him as a minister, but I do see the value that is in Paul's confidence in his salvation. And the question becomes that we're going to work on today, how confident am I in my salvation? And I guess the sub-question would be, how can I be as confident as Paul in my salvation? That when we're sitting there on the last day, we have no doubts. We have fought the good fight. We have stayed faithful. Brother Paul, it says in Acts 9, 20 and 21, when he was baptized, he immediately started working on proclaiming the gospel. Paul did not waste a moment. He describes himself almost with a zeal, a zeal that is, is unparalleled in most instances. There, when you look at the books of the New Testament, there are 27 of them, and 13 are without, I guess, any issue or debate. 13 are accredited to Paul. Some will have 14. They count Hebrews. And if you have Hebrews, or if you don't, that basically is Paul writing half of the New Testament. And when you think of his start persecuting the church, when you think of the work that he did in a little bit of time, the traveling and the devotion that he gave to the faith, we're going to explore what Paul's ministry, his overall goal was. I think that there is value in just kind of seeing maybe what started these letters that he wrote. And we'll touch on that a little bit closer towards the end. And I wanted to give you just some estimates of the time frames and the letters that he had written, and I thought that would be valuable. So Paul's ministry is, is wide and vast. 
he covers so many different things. We often look at his letters and to the church in Corinth as basically the establishment of what the church is supposed to do, what our goal in uh, worshiping, how we do communion, when we should do it, the a goal of singing, why we sing, noting members, and trying to bring them back to the faith. Paul covers everything. But in this time that I have, so that none of you feel like getting up and leaving, we're just going to cover three sections. Now, I wanted to cover, I guess, a lot of the context so that as we're discussing them, if you have any questions, I would love to be able to study with you a little further. And I didn't want to just snip any of them because Paul is, uh, he's a great writer and he's not speaking in, in sound bites, as we like to say in today's time. Paul has the substance of Christ and I wanted to do it justice by us discussing that. So in the first uh, section, we'll read Romans chapter 8, and we'll do verses 1 through 11. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk according to the flesh but not according to the spirit and then we'll note in verse 5 is going to be one of our key points here so it says for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on things of the spirit For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit of life because of righteousness, if the spirit of him has raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. So the first part that we want to talk about is according to setting our mind on the flesh, It also means that we're focusing on insignificant things, right? So when we're talking about, well, what is the flesh? What really matters? We're going to get into that a little bit further, but there are multiple ways. In this passage, we're going to be specifically talking about the Old Testament law and the value that it had and then when its value ceased. So when Paul is talking, Paul is speaking from his own no. Paul, as we know, was a Saul, and he was following the Old Testament, and he was persecuting the church. So when Paul speaks on the Old Testament, he speaks from a place of authority. He understands the Old Testament inside and out. He kept most of the laws, probably all of them, as best as he could, but we know that all have fallen short of the glory. And so when he's telling these people, he's like, look, I've devoted my life to the Old Testament, understanding it, reading it, living that life, I've gone as far as to sign my name on the line of people's death certificates because I followed the old law. And I am here to tell you, if you live according to the flesh, you set your minds on things of the flesh, that you cannot please God. And in that verse where it talks about uh, being hostile towards God in verse 7, the 
Greek word there means anemone or alienation, right? So when we're hostile towards God, when we're focusing on the Old Testament, we are separating ourselves from God. And part of that is the fact that we can't keep the Old Testament. Scripture says that if we bind ourselves or others with any part of the law, then we are bound by the whole law, which would be us condemning ourselves. Also, part of the Old Testament is the understanding that a Savior is coming. If you are living in the Old Testament, then you are denying that there is a Savior coming. And then that would mean that you are unable, right? We cannot focus on the Old Testament and the traditions of the flesh. And then he says, for if our mind is set on the Spirit, then we get life and peace. And so when we talk about life and peace, what are we talking about here? When we're reading as these verses go on, it says the Spirit of God needs to dwell in us. How do we know whether the Spirit of God is dwelling in us? What does it mean for it to take our, our mortal body and put life onto it? In 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? 2 Timothy 1.4 says, Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasures has been entrusted to you. Galatians 5.18 says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So the question is still, what is that? What is it, does it mean for the Spirit of God to dwell in us? We can see that it is a pivotal part of the New Testament church. We see that it is mentioned over and over throughout Scripture. So how do we make sure we are focused on the Spirit and that we're not focused on the flesh? And for that, we're actually going to stick with the Apostle Paul, and we're going to read his letter two chapters up, and we're going to read verses 1 through 14, and I won't read the whole thing like I did last time. I'll make some comments in between to give you guys a small break in myself. It says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we have died to sin, still live in it? Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ raised from the dead by the glory of our Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. So we're starting off and we're seeing that Paul is saying, if you want to walk in the newness of life, if your focus is on the Spirit. To get this Spirit, you have to first be baptized. You have to put to death your old self. And you see in Colossians 3 where it lists our old selves. And while we don't always like to think of ourselves that way, it really is the, the sinful nature of our flesh that is why Jesus Christ had to come. We have to first admit how bad we are without Jesus to understand why the Son of God had to come. And sometimes we short the impact of Jesus when we really are thinking, well, they're not that bad, or they do the best they can. And the truth is, when you read Colossians 3 and you see the, the nature, the wrath, of um, the anger, the malice, and the, the, the venom, the inability to forgive, we see what Jesus was coming to do, why he had to separate us from the Old Testament, why the need of a New Testament and the perfect sacrifice was there. Because in the Old Testament, right, the law was, was weakened by the flesh. Well, what does that mean? Well, in some instances, it means that the, the, the high priest, to give the offerings for the sins of the people, they had to give burnt offerings for themselves first because they weren't perfect. It also means that because it was not a perfect sacrifice, that they had to do it every single year. There was no forgiveness of sin. It was just moved ahead one year. 
So we can see that the Old Testament, right, the weakness of it when Jesus comes. And for Paul, he knows the roadblock that that was. He knows how difficult it was for him to let go of the old law that Jesus had to come and speak to him, pass the death and take his sight from him. Now, some of us, how many of us, I guess, is that is that needed? That we need Jesus to come and take our sight for us to understand that following some of these old traditions is, is just not necessary, or at least not valuable in our salvation. Picking up in verse 5, it says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ has been raised from the dead. He will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives is to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God and Jesus Christ. And then we'll finish in verse 12 through 14. It says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. So we can see that the baptism is actually in twofold, right? So one baptism takes care of our old body. We have killed our old selves. We've gone in the water of grave of baptism. We've been raised in the newness of life. And what is that new life, right? Is being a Christian. And it's almost the same as being an American, right? In the sense that American means I am of America. Christian means I am of Christ. I am no longer of this world. I have killed my old self the flesh that we were speaking of, I am in the newness of life. The life that I have is the baptism as I have died with Christ and I have been raised for him, and then the Spirit of God will dwell in you. Moving on to the second section, we will focus now on the traditions of men and the traditions of the flesh. So for that, we'll read Colossians 2, and we'll just read 16 through 23. It says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink or regards to festival or new moon or a Sabbath. They are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting of asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that have all perished as they are used, according to human perceptions and asceticism and severity to the body, but they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So when we talk about traditions, right, first the question is, are all traditions bad? No, of course all traditions aren't bad. We have traditions here where we do communion at a certain period of the worship. We take the offering at a certain period. We have the gentlemen who work on the Lord's table sit on the front pews so that they don't have to walk up ahead of time. These are traditions that we have, and there's nothing wrong with them. 
right? Paul is focusing a little bit more on, do they help you get to heaven? When we're trying to answer the question that Paul is asking, or at least Paul is speaking that I am asking, how do we have confidence in our salvation? These things do not help us have confidence in our salvation. In fact, Paul would probably go as far as say some of them become a hindrance of our salvation. We know that as the Jews were being converted, they had many issues bringing some of the Old Testament laws into the church, right? Their traditions of, of circumcision and, and their traditions of, of days and nights and food and burials that they really were focused a little bit too much on the Old Testament without Christ versus the New Testament with Christ. The death of their old laws versus the newness of life in grace. And it is a difficult thing for, for many to accept, but it is extremely difficult if you were the chosen people for so long and then Jesus come and is like, well, not so much anymore. We're actually going to open this up for everybody. We're going to change around some of these rules. So I can imagine the Jews were being like, well, wait a minute. If you want to be better, then you should totally do this. Like, it's great to be a Christian, but a circumcised Christian, that's where the money's at. And Paul is like, look, I'm half Jew, I'm half Roman. I know all of these traditions. They hindered me from my walk with Christ. I am telling you, they do not help you in your overall goal. And he puts it in the very last sentence of the verse. He says, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. See, the Old Testament, right, it doesn't help them stop their indulgence of the flesh. And us focusing on these traditions, while some of them could be good, they won't help us in our overall goal, right? So we should not be upset when we come into church one day and someone's sitting in our, our pew, right, our seat. We shouldn't be bothered if the elders met together and they said, you know what, I, I think we should move the uh, communion to the very first thing that we do, right? There is, these are traditions. There are things that uh, we should not focus or we should not be worried about. We should not be concerned. We should not let it hinder us in our walk. Because the focus is Christ. The substance is Christ. If we focus on Christ, we won't be worried about these little things. And as we keep seeing, if we're focused on the old law, if we're focused on traditions, then we are not as focused as we could be on Christ. Not that everyone is bad, but when we let it take a place of importance in us, then we start running the risk of being bothered, I would say, right? People end up leaving the church over some of these traditional disagreements because their substance isn't Christ. Their substance was some of these traditions. And we have to make sure that when we're focusing, as Paul is, when we want to answer the question, how confident am I in my salvation? We have to focus on the Spirit. We have to leave the flesh with the flesh, and we have to focus on the Spirit. We'll move into the very last section that we'll discuss today, and it'll be the focus on the Lord. So we've talked a little bit about, well, what shouldn't I worry about? Okay, I shouldn't worry about some of these traditions. I should not worry about some of these old customs. I should not worry about life before Christ because the perfect sacrifice has come. Old Testament has tremendous value. That's why it's in our Bible. That's why it is inspired word of God. That's why we read it. But we have to, we can't bring most of these commandments to the New Testament. Several of them you'll find reestablished in the New Testament. So it wasn't that they completely ignored it. They used the Old Testament to confirm themselves, right? Paul and Jesus, everybody's speaking of the Old Testament, confirming the fact that they were fulfilling some of these prophecies as they established the New Covenant. So when we focus on the Lord, there are several passages that we could have used, and I really liked the first letter to Thessalonica. 
And the reason being is if when you're reading in chapter two, Paul says that he was beaten, he was he had to leave, and then he left and he went to Athens, and then they, they pretty much mocked him and, and ridiculed him there. So then he went to Corinth. And then it says in chapter three that he sent Timothy there, and he's he's sitting, he sent Timothy there from Athens, so that we're right on the timeline. And then while he's in Corinth, he basically hasn't heard anything. So Paul is trying to figure out what is going on in Thessalonica. Did I send Timothy there and get him killed? Is he in prison? I'm really concerned what's going on here. Timothy comes back, gives the report, and he's like, everything is amazing. These Christians are spectacular. Because you had to leave early, Paul, they have lots of questions. They're really trying to figure out what to do. And if you know the parable of the sower and the seed, it's very important that when we sow the seed that it's in a firm foundation. So Paul, and if you look at some of the history of his in Acts where it talks about where he's going, this is generally attributed as his first letter that he's written. So Paul is stepping a little outside. He's like, well, I can't go back right now, but I want to answer all the questions. I sent Timothy. He's already given me a report. I feel really good about this, but I want to make sure that these Christians don't lose the faith because they are being persecuted, right? They beat Paul. Paul had to leave. So if you live there, then you're getting beaten, imprisoned, and killed. So Timothy comes back with this letter to answer a lot of the questions that they had. And in this section, Paul is letting them know, hey, what does it take to be focused on the Spirit? So we read in 1 Thessalonians 5, and read 14 through 22. And I put it on like almost like a list format, because it really is almost like a list. He says, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Seek that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God and Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good, abstain from evil. This is a pretty large list of things that the church had to focus on. But Paul knew if he wanted to focus on the Spirit, this is the key. We'll touch on only the ones that I think would, would require slight explanation. But generally, we can not only see that this list is edifying, encouraging, would truly help people in suffer, but we can actually see that this is in many parts of the Bible, right? When, when you see that it says repay no one for evil, right? We, we've seen that multiple times in Scripture, including... In the Old Testament, we see that Jesus talks about the forgiveness and how important it is, how as we forgive, we uh, are forgiven by God. So we can understand the value of that being there. Right? Being patient with all, helping the weak. We've read 1 Corinthians 13. We know that love is enduring and that's long-lasting, doesn't keep record. When we're reading about do not quenching the Spirit, that one is not actually in as many places. But it's defined in the next verses. So how do you quench the spirit, right? Well, it's touched on slightly when it talks about us causing the spirit to grow, like burdening the spirit. Well, how do we do that? Well, it says, do not despise prophecies. Okay, well, if you ignore the Bible, then your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God will groan, right? It will be burdened because we are not listening to God's will. We are focusing not on the spirit, but on the flesh. It says that we should test everything. So falling away to false teaching, where people are listening to some of these traditions that are coming into the church, and they think that it's helping them get closer to God, right? abstaining from certain things. 
And uh, I always say the important thing is not to find a conservative church or a liberal church. The important thing is to find the church, right? Whether you're conservative because you added more verses in the Bible is not any better than whether you're liberal and you're taking verses out of the Bible. The Bible is the Bible, the inspired word of God, and anything that we change would affect our salvation. And he tells them to pray without ceasing and rejoicing always. Praying without ceasing. Well, naturally, is not you're unable to just pray every single moment of, of your day, right? You got to sleep sometimes. But the idea that there is not, well, I'll pray every morning, I'll pray by three meals a day, and I'll pray at night. Right? It is not the idea that we have a schedule of prayer. It's the idea that as soon as we think about God, we're like, man, I'm so thankful that you are my Savior. Let me go ahead and get, talk to him, offer a prayer. When you're driving down the road and you see somebody that maybe on, has a broken down car, you just take a moment to pray for them. When you see people like in the rain, you're like, God, it'd be awesome if you could stop it from raining for them because they do not have an umbrella. The idea when we pray without ceasing, there is not a moment that we don't think prayer is the answer. And we see that when you, in the Old Testament, you see the way that uh, David was dealing with the wars. He came back from one battle and his family was gone. They had kidnapped everybody. Now, you and I, most likely, we would have been upset. We just would have followed the tracks until we found them and they would have got what was coming to them. But David prayed first. The first thing David did was he prayed to God and God blessed him for that. God said, you know what, David? They'll all be all right. You won't lose anybody, and I've already taken care of it for you. This is done. Sometimes we think prayer is a little too passive, right? It's not the first thing we do. It's maybe the last thing we do. God, I hope you're okay with everything I just did today. God, that could have turned out really bad. I'm glad that it didn't turn out as bad. But we really want to be focused on, God, this is what I'm going through. What's the best way to accomplish this? And it is not any more important than you can imagine people watching their, their friends and family being killed and taken away to prison. It says, abstain from every form of evil, which is a difficult but a necessary task, right? As Paul says in Galatians, he says a little bit of leaven, leavens the whole loaf, right? You, you can't be like, well, is, this is my one indulgence. Eh, you can't have really one indulgence. You have to really focus on abstaining from all evil. Not that you're able to necessarily accomplish this task, but the idea that you understand the gravity of sin. The idea that you don't make exceptions for sin is what Paul really wants the focus to be. And then so when you do this, when you're focusing on the Spirit with this list, and Paul says every Christian will have the mindset of the Spirit. When we're not focusing on the Spirit, then we have to be focusing on the flesh. There is um, no other option. Spirit, flesh. Flesh, Spirit. If you're focusing on things of God, then you are focusing on the Spirit Anything else that we're focusing on is not that. So we want to make sure that what we're going to do as Christians, whether persecution, whether good, bad, or indifferent, that we are focusing on that list of things, that we stay in tune with our spirit, and that we obey the words of God until death. Paul worked tirelessly. It says Paul went out and he did not ask for pay. It says Paul said he was shipwrecked, beaten, scourged. Paul said that he was thrown out of cities, he was wandering around, and then he watched his friends die. It's not an easy life. And then he had to live with the regret of what he did as Saul. Not, not an easy life. But Paul, from the moment he was baptized, went out preaching the gospel because he was focused on the Spirit. As soon as he knew, that's where he put his focus on. He never looked back. 
Paul wants to make sure that we never look back, that we do not worry about some of these insignificant things, that we do not uh, bind some of these different traditions on ourselves because they, they don't help us get to heaven. And, and if anything, they, they shortchange the gravity of what Christ can do in our life, the reason that he came. So then the question that we have is, how confident are we in our salvation? How bad do we want to go to heaven? I've now heard a, a small story, and I'll end with the story, and I've heard it several different ways, and I really liked it, so I was like, I'll try to incorporate it into some way. All right, so there was a person who, let's say, was meeting Paul, and he, he was like, Paul, how are you so confident in your salvation? How do you know that you're able to go to heaven? And then Paul told him, come meet me by this lake tomorrow morning at 4 a.m., and then you and I, 4 a.m. is not a lot of fun to wake up for. But the person was like, okay, I'll meet you tomorrow at 4 a.m. I don't know what a lake has to do with anything, but I'll meet you tomorrow at 4 a.m. So they're here at the lake. Paul comes up to him. Paul puts his hand on his head, and he's like, how bad do you want to make sure you can go to heaven? The guy said, real bad. And for others, the lady said, real bad. He said, good. So he said, walk on out into the water. So the person walked out about waist deep. And then the person's looking around like, I just really don't know what's going on here. I do not, I mean, look, I know Paul knows he's going to heaven. I've seen the work he's done, but he's coming off a little crazy. Paul asked him to go out a little bit further. So now he's like chest deep. Now the person's starting to wonder like, maybe I shouldn't listen to this guy. Maybe he knows how to get to heaven, but maybe he's not as great at telling me. He has me up early. I'm sitting in this water. I don't really know what's going on. And he tells him to go out even further. So now the water is at like his chin or her chin. And now the person's thinking like, I think I may have to turn around. I really want to be confident, but I don't know if Paul can answer this. Maybe I can go back and read his letters. Maybe I can figure this out on my own. And then the person is asked one more time, go out a little further. So now the water is at their mouth, right at the top of their mouth. And now the person's like, this is it. Me, Paul, this is over. Paul is crazy. And then they're getting ready to turn around. And as they turn, Paul says, how bad do you want to know that you can get to heaven? And the person was like, real bad. So then Paul grabs his head, dunks him in the water. And then the person is just like screaming. And they're like, oh, my goodness. And Paul's holding their head under the water. And they can't breathe. They can feel the collapsing of their lungs, the suffocation. He's just holding them under the water. Person's like scratching and clawing, let me out, let me out. Obviously, you can't hear him in the water. I get that. It's for the story. And then the person is like, okay, this is it. I just shouldn't have came out here. I knew it was a bad idea. And then Paul lets him up. And you know what Paul asked him? He said, what did you want more than anything when you're under the water? Person said, I wanted to breathe. Paul said, if you want to breathe, as bad as you want to go to heaven, you'll go to heaven. See, the problem with some of us is we don't want to go to heaven as bad as we want that next breath. We don't want to go to heaven more than we want to get that extra 30 minutes of sleep. We don't want to go to heaven more than we want to make the extra dollar at our job. We don't want to go to heaven more than we want to do some family traditions where we want to travel and do some other things. We just don't want to go to heaven as bad as we would want that next breath. See, the Apostle Paul says, if you are focused on the Lord, then you would focus to the point that you wouldn't realize that you haven't slept for three days. 
Paul said, if you were focused on the Lord, then you wouldn't know that you haven't eaten in two. That you wouldn't be worried about any of the suffering and persecution because you know that they can mean nothing compared to your salvation. The idea of having an eternity of happiness versus any amount of suffering that we have on this earth can mean nothing compared to our salvation. If you are here today, you have already experienced suffering. Right? We've all suffered. So why give up? Why give up? Why not keep going and get that reward? We've already done the hard part. The easy part is just staying faithful. We've already suffered. We've already been burdened. If we focus on the Spirit, as difficult as it can seem at times, we can get to heaven. We've already done all the hard work. Christ has died for us. He has raised him on the third day. We are in his church listening to his words. You have Suffer through this message with me. You have done the hard part. But if you have not been baptized, then you have not put to death your old person. And you are still living in the flesh. If you want to live in the Spirit, I invite you to come up. If you have been baptized, and maybe you've just gone off track a little bit, you have lost a little bit of that mindset that you want, and you just want some encouragement, it's on the list. We are here to encourage. We are here to help each other invite you to come up. If you just want to come up for any reason at all, I invite you to come up while we stand and sing.